welcome to Living Your Legacy. My name is Julie Binder. I am a senior strategist on the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond the purely financial, so we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. Part of this is working with our clients and their families to help them articulate and implement a legacy. Through our dialogue, we hope to inspire and guide clients to explore their purpose and begin building that. This concerted effort to identifying guiding values and creating that legacy takes time, but can be built through intentional decisions and action. I am so thrilled to be celebrating Women's History Month today with our guest, Andrea Jung from Grameen America. More than 40 million people live in poverty in the United States. The federal government defines poverty as a family of four living on $25,000 or less a year. Many of these families are not able to make ends meet. They are often working at minimum wage jobs or struggling to get their small businesses off the ground, and they can't afford health or child care. Women are disproportionately affected. More than one in eight live in poverty, and among minority women, the rates are even higher. We also have seen women disproportionately affected by the coronavirus pandemic over the last few years as they struggled with the added burdens of caring for children or elderly relatives. Andrea is president and CEO of Grameen America and a longtime champion of women's issues. She is the former chairman and chief executive officer of Avon Products, where she served as CEO from 1999 to 2012 and as chairman from 2001 through 2012. Throughout her career, Ms. Jung ranked consistently among the top leaders on lists, including Fortune's Most Powerful Women in Business, Forbes' Most Powerful Women in the World, and the Financial Times' Top Women in World Business. Ms. Jung is a graduate of Princeton University. She is a member of the Board of Directors of Apple, Unilever, Rockefeller Capital Manager, and Wayfair. She previously served on the boards of General Electric and Daimler AG. Andrea, with all that you have going on, we are so happy and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Julie, it's a delight. I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to talk to you and share some of uh, my thoughts with your great UBS clients. So, Andrea, can you give us a brief history of how Grameen got started? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, Grameen America was started in 2008 here um, in Queens, New York, but just a little back history, um, microfinance and the Grameen Bank uh, in Bangladesh had won the Nobel Peace Prize some 40 years ago, uh, really based on the thought that giving a small amount of capital to women who have been primarily excluded, particularly in the developing world, from any access to the formal capital markets was a way to actually lever and, and move the country out of poverty. His strong belief was that there was no economic recovery, no possible way to move at that time what, what was considered the poorest country on earth um, to reach its you know, UN millennium goals by not including women. That if women who were more than 50% of the population weren't included, there was no possible way for the country to recover. And you know, if you just fast forward at that time to 2008, it was a fascinating time. I think most uh, of us remember that 2008, while it didn't have the health issue that our current pandemic has wrought in 2020 and 2021, back in 2000, 
2008 and 2009 was the last real major financial crisis, lending crisis, and uh, we were founded in 2008. And a lot of people say, who would start a lending program to low-income women, most of whom have no credit or um, poor credit, at a time when most lenders are pulling back? And uh, I think due to the prescient nature and the philosophy of uh, our founder, Nobel Prize winner, Mohammed Yunus, it was just that that's exactly the time when people need it the most. Um, and so the rest really is history. So we started at a time with a lot of skepticism about whether small loans uh, would work to people who are normally excluded from the financial market, uh, communities of color, women. Um, and here we are, you know, 13 years later, expanded to 19 cities around the country. And uh, one of the foremost operations that is really dealing with poverty alleviation by providing loan capital to low-income women entrepreneurs to launch or expand their businesses. Um, so that is how we did get started. And now every single week we're in contact with uh, 65,000 women around the country to provide capital um, to their businesses. It's pretty exa- is exciting because we are uniquely positioned to really kind of understand how to support the underserved communities around this country um, and help with the recovery. Certainly, it's always been true, but particularly Julie now, uh, post, not post, but certainly as the economy recovers from the pandemic, it's um, critical to the backbone of the national economy. You're absolutely right. And I just love that at a time when everyone else was kind of walking away and turning their backs in 2008, Grameen America said, no, you know, this is the time that we need to step in and move forward and pull people up and along with us. And um, and I love that you bring up the time that we're in right now, because many of our clients have actually, over the last couple of years, become increasingly focused on racial and economic justice. And this is something, actually, I feel that UBS has in common with Grameen. We've been working in this space since 2014 with one of our signature entrepreneurship initiatives called UBS Elevating Entrepreneurs, which has the goal of creating a more inclusive landscape for underrepresented founders, so especially women and entrepreneurs of color. So that program tends to operate, I think, on the higher volume scale with the, the dollar amount of the loan. Can you tell us a little bit more about the typical women that you're serving and the kinds of businesses that they're starting? Absolutely. Um, The typical women that uh, we are targeting and that we serve are, you know, women entrepreneurs who are primarily women of color um, living in underserved communities around the United States who are financially excluded from the mainstream system. They don't get loans. They're disqualified or, you know, can't get loans from the formal capital markets. Um, The other alternatives in many cases for uh, them to access capital are you know, payday loans or usury rates um, or just not getting businesses uh, lending whatsoever, which kind of keeps the cycle uh, going and um, keeps them shut out of the, the formal capital markets. And I think that what we've seen is that women, and particularly women of color, uh, bear the brunt of this, inc- this exclusion. Um, you know, our members are, as I've said, about 98% Hispanic, Latino, or African-American. Their average age is about 40. Um, many of them are single moms, heads of households with average family size of three, and they live at or below the po- federal poverty level. So uh, that's, you know, less than $22,400 um, for family income. 
And we found that particularly our black entrepreneurs, black women entrepreneurs, have enduring longstanding insufficient access to affordable credit and capital. And despite being highly entrepreneurial, in fact, uh, black women-owned businesses are growing at the fastest rate in the United States of all businesses. So we uh, really embraced our moral obligation to develop a a program that we launched uh, in the middle of last year to meaningfully address systemic racial inequity just experienced by specifically black businesswomen. So uh, we're we're kindred here because our our program is called Elevating Black Women Entrepreneurs, um, and our goal is to disperse $1.3 billion of loan capital to over 80,000 black women entrepreneurs around the country. Um, you know, but I think it just comes back to, Julie, the, the case for, for why. I mean, we're very passionate about it at Grameen, but I think it is well known just statistically that um, if women uh, and women of color uh, and entrepreneurial, this entrepreneurial cohort was given equal access to credit, um, it's one of the greatest sources of untapped potential for the economy and for the communities. Um, if women and men participated equally as entrepreneurs, uh, I think it's been predicted that global GDP could rise 6% and double the global economy to $5 trillion, according to BCG. Uh, women clearly face a gap in business funding, women of color particularly so, and they receive a paltry 4%, I'll say that again, 4%, uh, $1 out of $23 of commercial loan dollars. So it's pretty unacceptable. And uh, this financial exclusion disproportionately, again, gender-wise and to communities of color, um, I think is not only the hindrance and the, the perpetuator of the fact that uh, poverty and you know inequity exist in our country, even as the richest nation on earth, but the fact that women... A half of all women are unbanked or underbanked gives a huge opportunity, I think, for the road to recovery, which I think you and I both agree is is a big, big opportunity. So we're um, we're committed to addressing. You know, there's so many issues in in the the landscape of inequality, but just on access to capital as a basic human right for for women and for communities of color, equal to you know the the average. By just doing that, I, I think we can make a huge dent in terms of the progress needed that we in society. Absolutely. Some of those numbers are staggering uh, when you hear it broken out in that, in that 4% and what that actually means for these women. And Andrea, I, I think that one of the things that I really love, we in our team in Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services, we wear two hats. We spend a lot of time with families thinking about governance, but we also spend a lot of time helping them think about philanthropy and being strategic with their capital so that they can have lasting impact on the root causes of issues. And with women, community especially is so, so important, whether that's on the philanthropic side, funding together. And with Grameen, um, you take a community approach to funding as well. And what I what I love reading about and finding out about from our talks is that you've had over $2 billion invested in close to 150,000 women just since 2008. And the women actually come to the Green Network in groups of five, having that little community built in as a part of the larger um, community within their city and the overarching Grameen Network. So can you tell us a little bit about why five and what the group does for each other? Absolutely. I mean, it's actually one of the more commonly asked questions when people get introduced to the program. I'm probably no magic to five, 
but I think it, you know, just it's it, it's a not huge number, um, you know, so it's not twenty uh, because it is important to have community, but also to have, important to to really know each other and have trust and respect. And I think over time, um, historically, and we learned this from the work done in Bangladesh in the original model, um, that having a group lending model in uh, where sort of the magic and the alchemy of the program is that, you know, if, you know, Julie is part of a group, you know, there are four other women who you know and you trust deeply and they support you in your business. And, you know, I may have a restaurant business and you may have, you know, a salon business and do nails and somebody else may have a flower shop. So we're not doing the same business, but, you know, entrepreneurship's not easy, um, particularly for this cohort. Having a group of peers makes it, and it's true for, I think we find this in society in general, and particularly for women, it makes it so much, not only less lonely, but incredibly supportive to have that, that help. Um, I was in the Bronx. Uh, I remember visiting one of our center meetings and one of our members told the other, um, you know, you have a food cart, but you are in the wrong neighborhood because a lot of the businesses in the offices moved four blocks west and two blocks north. So you are going to miss, you know, that lunchtime traffic unless you move essentially seven blocks exactly this way. I've seen it, and I, I, I know because my business, um, different kind of business, has seen that too. That kind of support, Julie, is invaluable. There's, there's nothing that can replace this, and it only can, no, even not as great as our own staff is and as much education we have about kind of community and where economic activity is happening, there's nothing like having a peer or someone else, another entrepreneur, not only share that information, but want to share it and want you to be successful. So there's a huge power in the social capital of Grameen. Um, and we see that our members not only help hold each other accountable, you know, spur them on, inspire them um, in their groups, but when they get their ongoing training and support, which happens, you know, every week, they encourage each other. Um, we had to pivot to... Uh, Zoom meetings, actually, because our, our members used to get together, um, certainly with their group of five, and then often several groups of five in what we call a center. So maybe 30 women entrepreneurs getting together in the community, in one of their businesses, one of their homes, just to share every single week. And obviously, when the pandemic um, came in 2020, in the early part of the year, social distancing, stay-at-home orders, obviously, they disrupted all that social capital, if you would. But I'm just so inspired because we moved to Zoom meetings. So imagine 2,800 Zoom meetings going on every week with about 30 women on each call. And they support each other. I mean, through the entire pandemic, you know, whether it was, um, you know, where to get your vaccine um, or what to do with your business. And if you were running a salon, how do you get the plexi so that you could uh, reopen your shop? It was just so inspiring to hear them because the ability to support each other was the biggest magic of the program and I think really got each other through. You know, that, that being able to stay in touch. And as a matter of fact, some of our members' businesses shut down completely and they had a hard time making the weekly payments. But we just said to them, just come to the meeting. Um, even if you can't make your payment this week, we know your business is going to you know open back up. I mean, that's what makes us so unusual, right, as a bank, if you would to this cohort, 
but their engagement and their desire just to get support um, and share some of their trials and tribulations with others um, kept them engaged and trusting us week after week. And then, you know, of the I think of the first 16,000 loans that we gave out um, right after when the pandemic began to ease in the fall of 2020 and through last year, only one person out of 16,000 missed a payment, if you can imagine that. Everybody else was not delinquent um, because we were the last organization they were going to let down because they didn't get the PPP loans. Their businesses were too small and it was too cumbersome to fill it out. It was too difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. So they were really dependent on on us for the capital and uh, that engagement was everything. That's a startling and amazing statistic all at the same time. And just the fact that Grameen America was able to extend that opportunity and that grace to people saying, if you are struggling right now, still come to the meeting. We know you're good for it. As soon as your business opens back up, you'll be you'll be right back in those payment plans. It just shows, I think, the power in knowing your clients and knowing and, and having that smaller community. And I love this concept that you talk about with the power in social capital. It's something that we talk about with donors when they are wanting to get involved in funding in a particular community, one of the first things that we encourage them to do is actually get to know the people in the community and the needs of the community because no one else knows what they need more than they do. And so this idea that their peers in their their loan group can direct them and, and give them advice and insight into where the business is moving and where to capture some more of those customers is just so critically important. Absolutely. It's just, it's, it's all the difference. And I know that that's one of the important program models for Grameen is that people need to be close enough to their location and their center to be a part of the program. You're currently in 22 cities with 28 total locations. And the model is that the first loan for these women is about $2,000. And then the payments that they make are in turn used to help fund the next chapter of Women Entrepreneurs giving that real multiplier effect to the loan portfolio. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you think about and select new locations to scale? Sure, absolutely. Um, When we're selecting new locations, we've got a team that really works uh, almost exclusively on this to carefully evaluate the socioeconomic landscape of each potential new city, potential philanthropic partners, whether that's um, corporations or foundations or families. Um, who really, you know, share our passion for economic development and supporting uh, women entrepreneurship. And so um, that's how we kind of matrix a a need set and an opportunity um, to look at location by location. Um, So we opened last year, to give you an idea, um, branches in Chicago. Um, We've been in the northern part of New Jersey in the Newark uh, in Union City area, but uh, the business was growing so quickly. We opened in the sort of the southwest part of the state, in Trenton, Camden. Uh, we opened the state of Connecticut, and we opened San Antonio uh, and Dallas, um, Memphis, Tennessee. And um, we are opening up in Atlanta, um, Philadelphia, and Phoenix are sort of next on the uh, horizon for 2022. So our goal is to reach... Um, over 600,000 women entrepreneurs in 53 uh, branches. So we're at 28, so we intend to go to 53 by the end of the decade. 
and we'll use that selection process. Uh, so again, it's really where are where is there a credit desert? Where are there really entrepreneurial women um, who don't have access to capital? Um, and where are there is there the philanthropic um, partnership opportunities for like-minded, as I said, organizations and families who really want to make this happen? Um, able to say, let's let's bring Grameen to the city here. You did mention this, which I, which I uh, for me when I joined the organization eight years ago was just sort of the beauty and the magic of sort of truly what I would call, you know, catalytic philanthropy, because for every dollar invested um, in five years, it returns 12 times because of the repayment rate and the recycling rate. Um, and that multiplier effect, it's a powerful thought. You know, I, I, I remember having a, a donor who said to me, so for a million dollars, um, that million dollars turns into $12 million of loan capital. Um, it, by year five, and that that is true. As a matter of fact, it's you know, it's so quick now that it's all probably going to be almost four years that you get that twelve times return. So that is a particularly unique investment uh, philanthropically that um, we we're really proud of because the, the model does work that way. Um, so that's from the donor side. But equally, what's really powerful is that when a woman pays back her loan. She, I mean, they said, you know, I'm so happy that I paid this back because now, you know, Suzanne, or there's another person in my community who can get a loan. And this power of what I was able to do, thanks to your capital, somebody else can do too. So they, at the member level, understand the um, multiplier effect as well, which is really actually the most powerful part. That is really one of the biggest, I think, things that makes Grameen unique is that multiplier effect. Yeah. And Andrea, it's my understanding, too, that women, they'll often start with that first loan of $2,000. And I know a lot of people listening to this are probably like, what on earth can they even do with $2,000 in America? But that's kind of just a stepping stone, right? So once they've had that first loan of $2,000, they have increasing access to more capital at Grameen. The first loan is 2000 but then every six months, if, you know, they attend the financial training and the meetings and pay the loan back, then they get a, a much larger loan the next time and then the next time. And so, you know, we've had women who've been with the program who've gotten over $100,000 of loans. It's just not all at one time. But once they pay that back that first $2,000 loan, they can come back um, and the cycles of loans get larger. Um, and uh, it really becomes... Uh, a long-term relationship and they don't want to leave us because they love the social capital that you and I talked about earlier. But I will say mm -hmm. that one of the most frequently asked questions that I get is what can $2,000 do in the United States? I mean, is it really enough? And I will just tell you one quick story um, because it's, uh, I have 65,000 of them I could rattle off, but for the sake of time, uh, mm -hmm. there is one of our great members, her name is Susanna, um, who was a victim of domestic violence. Um, and she was actually uh, had the courage to take her very young son, uh, I think he was less than a year old, and um, leave the situation. Um, and, you know, most women cannot leave a, a, a piece of situation because it's financial. Um, but anyway, she had the courage to leave. But she was actually living in the subway um, for a couple of days. And a Grameen America loan officer um, gave her her first loan. And she rented a chair in a salon. So she didn't own a salon, but she was able to rent a chair in a hairdressing salon because she knew how to cut hair. Um, and just to fast forward the story today, um, because of that hand up, 
Okay, it wasn't a handout. It was a hand up. She now owns a salon with six employees, is about to open her second one. Um, Just a brilliant entrepreneurial story um, of what can a little bit of capital do to obviously change not only business, but to change your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think one of the things that surprises a lot of people is how many people live on the brink of just needing that little tiny bit of capital to really change their trajectory, whether that's, you know, help getting a a security deposit on a new apartment so they can get out of that difficult position or sometimes fixing a car or in this case, a microloan for their first business. And it's really about not just the capital, but about somebody investing in them and believing in them and saying, we know that you can do this. And I think that that's so powerful in your model that not only do people come for the social capital and the loan capital, but you're also providing them with learnings and opportunities to grow their business skills and and really support them holistically on this entrepreneurial journey. One of the learnings that we did have, um, and, and other microfinance organizations have probably seen a little bit of this, but but we really have seen it, is that sometimes too much capital in the beginning, it, it, it is it's, makes it even more difficult. Um, you know, I would contend that giving somebody $20,000, which maybe people think is more what you need if you want to start a business, to someone who's really never done it or is, it doesn't know yet how to manage money and manage, you know, working capital. Um, and I, if I gave the same woman, $20,000, had no financial training, just sort of gave her the loan and then expected her to pay that back in a couple of years, the success rate would be far less than giving a little bit at a time and getting, I mean, one of the things in 26 weeks, um, which is just, you know, amazing that, you know, in, in half a year, they can go from no credit score or a bad credit score to a credit score on average of over 670 and 20% of them have a prime credit score. And that sense of confidence in what that can do for everything is amazing, simply amazing in six months. And so it is um, deliberate that small chunks and small wins building credit along the way is a better pathway with education on how to manage that money than a larger loan without help. And that that doesn't doesn't change the the course of your, you know, your trajectory and, and can often be overwhelming. And if you can't pay that back, then, you know, you're furthering yourself and your problem. So that's been our learning. I love it. You also use a phrase that we use all the time, and uh, that is catalytic philanthropy, which is so important just to be able to give that start for people to then be able to go out and become more successful from that, that first initial influx of capital. And at UBS, Andrea, we often talk to our clients about the difference between outputs and outcomes, which is one of the things I loved about your story about Suzanne. So it's not just measuring the loans distributed, but in the lives changed. So how does Grameen think about and measure successful outcomes? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, we're so used to, uh, because we do have a a very economically powerful uh, set of, you know, outputs that we talk about, you know, we've given out two point, you know, almost $3 billion. We've, you know, lent to 150,000 women. The repayment rate is 99 plus percent. So, I mean, those are easy to spew off and they are, uh, you know, on the one hand, evidence of success. But to me, I think it's a, it's truly about m- measuring for, you know, one woman times, you know, tens of thousands. What is the outcome 
life change. Um, so one of the things that we undertook in uh, years back, which was bold, I guess, and courageous, was a randomized control trial. Um, MDRC is a world-class research organization, um, and we were fortunate to have a, um, a, an organization, Robin Hood in New York, who, who paid for this study. It was a multiple-year study to really understand the, and evaluate the impact on, of Green America's microfinance model on poverty alleviation and on these women entrepreneurs and to really look at outcomes. Um, and this was a very rigorous, independent third-party evaluation. Uh, it, uh, as I said, had a randomized control trial design. So it, there was a program group who went through Green America and very similar entrepreneurs who were denied a Green America loan that were measured over the course of multiple years to really understand, you know, their credit scores, um, was there a reduction in material hardship, really down to, you know, could they pay their last, you know, uh, medical prescription, um, their rent, their, you know, uh, all of the things that go into, you know, the whether a family or not is or isn't uh, able to send their ch- child on healthcare, education, et cetera. So as well as typically, obviously, business ownership, business earnings, and how much they were saving as opposed to the group that didn't get it. And we were really uh, thrilled because early, um, we did an early report, but the final report is coming out in just weeks now, um, that there are statistically significant positives uh, for the Grameen microlending program in terms of um, all these things, is a, a reducing material hardship for these women, um, increase in their credit scores, their business ownership, their savings. Um, just one little statistic, but the average savings of a Grameen member, because we do want them to save every single week, um, because we know that most most families are just living from, you know, either paycheck to paycheck and not, and the, the difference when you have asset building, which I'm sure you are all you, you know so well at the bank. I mean, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And there was you know over $800 difference from the control group, which for this cohort is huge. And for many of them, it's what got them through the pandemic was having some savings for that rainy day, which came upon them in 2020. So the headline for the final results indicates that the program does have significant outcome positives um, that really is life-changing for for the women that were studying and that for us, in addition to the, you know, the outputs that we measure daily and weekly is the medium and long-term really powerful thing that um, solidifies, you know, our belief that the, the mission, but also the delivery is that this concept of a handout, not a handout um, is catalytic changes lives. Um, and that we can measure that on a multiple series of dimensions. I mean, even just hearing the fact that there's an $800 difference in the amount of savings that these members have when so many people in the United States have trouble because they don't have an emergency fund and they are living paycheck to paycheck and they don't have an option when some sort of medical or business or pandemic-related emergency hits them. And for Grameen members to have that, especially when they're getting started with loans of just $2,000, I think it's so striking. Yeah, something that we really, we were seeing all along. And I think the pandemic just put a microscope and a spotlight, if you would, on the power of the program when it was needed the most. 
I think what's so powerful, too, about this concept of social finance and multiplying your donation and having a million dollars turn into $12 million worth of impact over between four and five years as, as Ramin is going along really is a fantastic answer to some of the questions that people often ask when they look at, for example, the funding gap that exists as we need to address the UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Yep. Knowing that social finance is really an option to multiply your donation and to reach and, and really empower that catalytic philanthropy is just so fantastic. Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. We know how busy you are and really appreciate you carving out some time for us and our listeners. It's great to be with you. I want to leave everyone with a few thoughts as w- that I got from listening to, to Andrea's responses on this, and that is, first, the power in social capital. And this idea that if we give more access and equal access to men and women as far as capital is concerned, we could double the global economy. And Black women-owned businesses are growing at the highest rates of any other cohort in the United States. That is a really interesting thing to be thinking about, both from the Grameen perspective and a larger scale as it pertains to access to capital. There are credit deserts that exist, and it makes such a meaningful difference in the lives of women all around. And just hearing the difference in savings and the difference in credit scores for the women who go through the Grameen program really drives home that idea of successful outcomes. So I want to thank our listeners for sharing in this journey with Andrea and Grameen America today. Each month, we will be publishing a new episode on Living Your Legacy, which will explore inspiring stories like that of Grameen and on how others have worked towards defining and contributing to their legacies. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements it is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC. 